Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 38. So last week, we posted an episode with Pat O'Connell and myself breaking down the then recently completed Rumble at the Ranch, as well as playing another round of The Time Machine and answering the listener mailbag. And something that's come up since was the streaming issue that a few people experienced on the World Surf League app and at worldsurfleague.com. As Pat and I are both on site, we weren't fully aware of what was happening, and that's on us. For those who watched on our linear broadcast partners or on YouTube, there weren't issues, but the fact that live surfing with CT surfers was back and some people couldn't fully enjoy it is unacceptable, and Pat and I should have brought this up. So I want to apologize to anyone who had streaming issues during the event. Hopefully you've been able to watch the replays or the highlights since, and I want to ensure everyone that the WSL tech team has been working through what happened to improve the experience for our upcoming events. That said, as noted in last week's episode, it was so nice to see the world's best once again in the live arena. And while the lineup was on site, we took advantage of a few more folks that were there, including today's guest. Someone whose juggernaut run through the amateur, pro junior, and QS ranks was nothing short of mind-boggling. Whose arrival on the Elite Championship Tour was somewhat muted by the focus of John John and Gabriel at the time, but whose performance quickly sparked an interest in California returning to contention after a 30-year absence from the world title stage, Tom Curran's 1990 effort being the last. He's the first and only Californian ever to win the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing, and he is potentially the next true contender from the Golden State. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with San Clemente's Griffin Colapinto. The good old clap take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's a here boxing. Griffin Colapinto. Here on the lineup, no longer at low tide because we were just calling those episodes we had to do over Zoom, low tide episodes, and we're here in the flesh, man. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? I'm good. I'm good, man. So what's been going on for you in 2020? How have you been spending your time? Well, I kind of a lot changed for me. I got my own house and I moved into there. So out of my parents' house, out of my bunk bed. <laughs> and so I'm just doing that. And I got a girlfriend. So kind of just been like having a nice little program at home and surfing a bunch and just having fun with my friends. That sounds like a super productive pandemic. So break this down for me. You went from a single room bunk bed with your brother Crosby and now you got your own place. Yes, exactly. I was just, well, yeah, so I had a bunk bed and I slept under that my, my whole life. And there's like the tiniest little bed. And then I got a girlfriend and then ended up getting the house like right around the same time and just like <laughs> moved into my my house and I have like my own bedroom it's so nice and then my girlfriend's like there most of the time so it's like I just my transition was crazy and it's like all during this period where we're like home you know so it kind of worked out really well for me in a way oh yeah it doesn't sound like it's supernatural you get a girlfriend and you're like I probably need to get out of the bunk bed yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I got the place when I was in Hawaii. Like my parents were doing it or helping me. Yeah, and then 
and then I got home I had already had it and then I met my girlfriend and then I just like moved into the house and then she's like there most of the time because she has nothing to do really so it's like yeah it's going good it's actually it's probably like a I mean it's not a great time for a lot of things but if you for someone like yourself who probably spends most of your year on planes and on the road when you get your own place you're at least there for a concentrated amount of time so you're like oh I got like a home project I gotta work on or I'm getting to gardening what's been kind of the things you've been working on around the house uh well we got the deck put in like in my backyard it's it's not really much of a backyard. It's just like, well, it's a backyard, but it's got a deck. Like there's no grass or anything. And so I'm, and then I ordered a sauna and my friend gave me his freezer. So I'm going to have like a sauna ice bath thing going on back there. And I got a gorilla mat to train on and stuff. So I got my own little like health hub in the backyard. That's it. I was over at uh, Dan Godowskis' place and he's got kind of the same setup. He's got like the little, I think it's like Swedish or Norwegian sauna. Looks cool. Looks like a, like a wooden golf ball. And then he's got the ice bath and he's like, oh, I just go back and forth. And that's like the secret to immortality. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's good to know. I should get into that. Yeah. It's <laughs> the best. The sauna ice bath thing is like the best feeling ever. I feel like you just like, when you do the sauna and then you jump in the ice bath and then you get back in the sauna and that feeling of getting back in the sauna is like, it's like better than any drug you could do. I swear you just like <laughs> sit there and you're just like so present for a, for like a minute or two, you know, and that's the best. With the pandemic and obviously there was, you know, social distancing and there were lockdown orders and everything. How was it for you in San Clemente? Did you, did you take time off of surfing? Were you still surfing as much as you could? What was it like for you specifically? Um, I was kind of like figuring out like, so I didn't, want to over surf because mm -hmm. there's i just had like so much time at home and it was like kind of weird like i wasn't like surfing to get ready for a contest or anything so i kind of just been like surfing i haven't been surfing as much as i usually do like before contests and stuff but i just kind of wait like when there's a swell i'll just try and surf all day on the swell but when it's like average and small i'm kind of just taking it easy and not surfing as much that makes sense I was thinking about this before we had our conversation today and I was like, when did I first meet Griffin? Cause I was traveling around a lot kind of when you were coming up and then I was like, oh yeah, the first time we met, I told you, you won the triple crown because we were at the site and this was sort of December, 2017. And they're like, okay, yeah, it's official. Like Griffin won the triple crown. We got to go get him for this interview. And I said, okay. And I texted Hef and I'm like, hey, is Griffin around? And he's like, oh, he's here at the house. I said, okay, I'll, I'll come by. And we hadn't met yet, but I introduced myself. You're like, oh yeah, I know who you are, ASP, WSL, cool. I said, uh, well, good news. You know, you won the Triple Crown. Congratulations. Yeah. So that was, I don't get to meet everyone that way. That was as good as it gets for meeting <laughs> someone, huh? <laughs> I, and I think you were like, do I win any money? And I was like, I think so. I don't want to say you do if you don't, but I think you do. So yeah. you were the first and only Californian ever to win the Triple Crown. Yeah. I was kind of baffled on that stat. I didn't realize that. And you were 19. Yeah, 19. And the only other American, mainland American, do you know who that was that won it? Um, Kelly. There you go. Yeah. Good guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, in digging into this, being in California myself, um, it's been a long time since we've had someone basically have those accomplishments. You know, the last Californian to win a world title was Tom Curran in 1990. The last Californian male to win a CT, Bobby Martinez at Chopu, 20, 2009. Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. 
do you feel like you're potentially the next guy to kind of make a dent for Californian surfing on the CT? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, I think brother's kind of coming in and he's just, just about starting to peak in his career. So I think he's going to be coming really close to accomplishing that. And then I'm also just learning and figuring everything out with what comes on the tour. Like, I feel like that's kind of how my years have progressed in the past from amateur to QS. Like I've always had those like two years of having to like learn the hard way first. And then I have my good accomplishments, you know? So I kind of feel like that's how it's going on the CT for me right now. And that was the same thing as the QS and the juniors. So I'm just like trusting in that process. Who's going to win a CT first, you or brother? Um, me. <laughs> and I mean, it's a weird one too, right? Because obviously California doesn't have a shortage of excellent surfers. Haven't had a shortage of excellent surfers who've been on tour. It's been the Gadowskis brothers. You know, Yeomans was on there. Dane was on there. It's kind of amazing it's been that long since there's been a real contender. Yeah, I mean, well, Kanoa won Kurama is like kind of got to count him a little bit. That's a great right? point. He's like grew up in Huntington Beach. So I don't know, even though he's transferred to Japan, I think he kind of got to give it, give it to him a little bit, right? That's a fair point. I'm yeah. sure Huntington's holding it down. But yeah. even so, right, like there's been, I, I think it's just one of those things where surfing's gotten so, so competitive at the elite level and you've seen the rise of the Brazilian storm and it's just much harder than it's ever been, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. How do you view like the most challenging competitors on tour right now for you personally? Like, are they older guys? Are they guys your own age? Are they guys from a specific country? Like, which are the guys that give you like the most trouble? I think sometimes I have more trouble against like the, like the guys that aren't as good as surfers, but are really smart. Mm. So then I, you can kind of like, I'm learning how not to do this, but you can kind of like underestimate them a little bit. And then they're just so freaking on it and smart. And it's so simplified for them because they only have their like one bag of tricks that they can do, you know, so they just can stick to that. Where what happens with someone like me or maybe the other top guys is when you have like a big bag of trip tricks that you can go to is sometimes you get in like two minds of, oh, like I want to be doing my carbs or like, should I be doing airs? You know, you're just like, oh, I could do an air, but it's a good car section, but so it's like that part, I'm like figuring that part out too. So You mentioned there was, in sort of all your levels, there's a couple of years of hard lessons and then it clicks for you and you figure it out. So do you kind of consider yourself a slower learner in that sense or like, because I, I mean, you're so young and you've achieved so much already. It, it kind of shocks me that, that that's how you view your own trajectory. Yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit of a slower learner for sure. I like, I have to learn the hard way before I actually learn. Do you, and are there anything, is there anything at each level that you felt like you learned? Like the pro junior level, I had to figure this out. And at the QS level, I had to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, the pro junior level, I kind of started and I I did all right. And then it took me like a year, year or two to start doing good. Just learning how, like what waves I should be going on and stuff like that. And then I, I started winning contests there. And then I got on the QS and I didn't do good for the first like two years. And then I started coaching with Snake and then he just like taught me so much about wave selection and all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, now I'm on the tour and I've had a few good results. Like I've had three thirds, but I've also had like a lot of bad results too. So I'm like highs and lows still.
Totally. And I think that's something that like a lot of young guys wrestle with, you know, and we talk about this a lot, like on this podcast and with a lot of CT surfers is often the best ones, whether it's a McFanning or, you know, even like Adriano is another good one where it is they qualify for the tour and they're humble enough to realize like I have a lot I have to work on, which isn't always the case, right? Some mm -hmm. people qualify for the tour and the hype machines like you're you're going to win a world title in year one. Mm. And they kind of have blinders on in terms of like gaps in their approach. Right. Uh -huh. Which camp do you think that you've fallen into on that? Yeah. I feel like when I got on, I was getting a lot of hype, like, Oh, you could win the world title. And like, I got third in my first event and stuff. And then it was kind of, it was kind of weird. Cause I felt like for me, like I've always done really well when I like had something to prove. Right. And it felt like I had like nothing to prove anymore. Cause I like done so well and had all this hype. So it was like, kind of like a weird my headspace was kind of weird you know it's and i think that's part of it right where the surf industry power center has been southern california for so long so like surfers that come out of there often come out with just like a default amount of hype mm -hmm. and they come out with all these expectations like i remember the year that brother qualified like Nike put out that edit of him in the white wetsuit at like gravels yeah and you watch the edit and you're like yeah i mean he's going to win the world title, you know? And, <laughs> and for someone like brother, like he went on tour his rookie year and he surfed pretty well. I think he made like the quarters in France and he did, he did well. And he was so young and people online were still like, you fucking blew it. You didn't win the world title. And I'm like, that's pretty good for a rookie, but it's just that weird expectation management thing. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a trip. It's like learning how to deal with that. It's crazy. You on the topic of brother, you guys have known each other for a long time. Yeah, pretty pretty long. Since I was like 10, probably. Not close, but close starting with around 15, 16. But yeah, known him since I was like 10. I watched uh, the Surf 100 with Stab the other day, which I thought was really cool. And I was blown away by how how kind and deferential and nice brother is to you. Like every time you came up, he's like, I have so much respect for Griffin and this and that. And even when you guys were mic'd up in the water, it was like a contest. He's like, Griffin, do you want to get this wave? Yeah. Like, what do you have on Kolohe and Dino that makes him so nice to you? I don't know. I just, I, I never really, I don't know. I give him shit sometimes, but I just never talking bad about him, you know, and just like, we're always super nice to each other. And he's always been super nice to me. And I only have like good things to say about him. So, and then I think I, I feel like my, he respects my surfing a lot. And so like that adds another level as well. So. If you, cause you have such a close relationship with him and you've seen him surf maybe more than anyone else on tour. What do you think the strongest parts of his surfing game are? And what do you think the parts are that he needs to work on? I definitely think he's working on the parts that he needs to work on, which is good. And I feel like his backside is his strongest part. Like if you watch him on his backside, he can do those like backside finner reverses, like no worries. And then he's super sharp to like never bogs. Just like you do like four perfect backside turns in a row. And then his front side, he's he's like one day he could be like really on and then one day it could be kind of like he's still on, but not as on, you know. I think he's been working on like smoothing his surfing out a lot and then like his transitions, trying not to hop as much. And uh, his carves, trying to keep his carves really fluid. So, yeah, it's good. I think he's working on all the stuff that he knows. If we were to ask him the same question about you, what do you think he would say are your strong points and the parts you need to work on? Well, it's funny because I think he'd say my strong points are my 
forehand and my calves and my front side airs. And then my weak points are probably my backside in certain, like maybe sometimes my backside barrel riding can get improved, I think. And then my backside turns can be improved, which I've been working a lot on. And I actually enjoy working on that kind of stuff. Like that's what makes me want to surf is having something to work on. Like when I go out and I don't really have anything in my head to work on, it's not as fun for me. So, yeah. I, like the on the men's CT in particular, I think on the men's and the women's CT over the course of the last 20 years, the backhand has really set sort of those elite surfers apart, you know, because a lot of people have very strong forehands. It's probably a function of there being really good rights on tour, like Bells or J-Bay or the Gold Coast. But when you think of like the the people that get set apart, like your Andes and your Danes and your Kellys um, and your Mix, and I mean, even now your Idlos, like they really develop strong backhands. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it might just be something where you, if you want to be a world champ, you know, you got to have everything. So they're probably working hard at their backhand just as much as they're working hard on their forehand. So. And I think it's interesting to kind of parallel you and brother because you guys are obviously from the same town, the same shaper, a couple of years apart. But kind of what you're saying before is where you guys probably get stuck sometimes is a little bit of paralysis of like you can do everything on a wave, you know. So sometimes it's hard to focus in on like I'm going to focus on this part of my surfing to get through this heat. Oh, totally. That's sometimes the hardest thing. Like my heat I had in Brazil against Jordi last year, I lost to him like the round before quarters and that whole heat, I was in two minds. Like I got a wave because the wind was really good for airs and I got a wave that was like super good for turns and I was doing turns, but wanted to do an air. So I was like, I was falling a bunch and it was because I wanted to do an air, but then I got the waves that were good for turns. So it was like a weird mindset. And, and I think the other parallel, which you kind of touched on already is just the expectation management, right? Where you both came up with a, a good amount of hype and I, I'll never forget this um, when I, I heard Andy talk about it a long time ago. And he was like, everyone in the world wants you to win your first world title. And the second you win, they want you to lose. You, know, <laughs> you get the target on your back. And I think that has a lot to do with that expectation management, even with hype. Like people see someone get hyped up and then you have to kind of wrestle through that because if you're not delivering to that level of hype, they're like, oh no, now, now that's the, the benchmark that we need to beat. Yeah, weird. so in terms of your trajectory to the ct um tell us a little bit about your family what are your parents like you got your brother who's an amazing talent too and you're also so young yourself like what was it like growing up and when did you start taking professional surfing seriously um i started taking professional surfing seriously when i was probably 10 like i was 10 and i wanted to be a pro surfer for sure i was like yeah, that's what I want to do. And uh, growing up, I grew up with my mom. She and my or my dad was a teacher, or he still is a teacher. And my mom was kind of just stay-at-home mom. And then in the summertime, her and my dad would run a surf camp together. And she would kind of run the business side of the surf camp. And my dad would be on the beach all day doing that. So my dad's always been like a super hard worker, like going nonstop. And uh, yeah, so kind of just grew up down at the surf camp from a super young age. I think I started loving surfing when I would go out and I would kind of try and like impress the instructors. Like oh, I wanted like surf good in front of the instructors, you know. 
And who are the instructors? Are they like local kids that are really good that work for your dad? They or? weren't even that good of surfers. They're just like <laughs> down there and yeah. they like work for my dad. And I don't know. I just like looked up to them because they're all super cool and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I was like part of it, I think. Yeah. And then my brother is three years younger than me and he he was more of a late bloomer. He started surfing the same age as I did, but he didn't start liking surfing that much until he was like 14 or 15. And I kind of, kind of coached him up through the ranks. <laughs> so you're taking a percentage of anything he wins. You're like, Hey, I get my 10% or whatever. Cause I got you here. Oh yeah. We always joke. Like if it wasn't for me, he'd be freaking in the streets, just like playing kickball or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask was since you, zeroed in on what you wanted to do so young was there any other interests for you like early on was there ever a how oh, maybe I want to be like a basketball player or anything else was or was it always just surfing uh well I when I was like around eight I played every type of sport like volleyball basketball baseball soccer like a bunch of different sports and I realized I hated team sports because you'd do really good and the other guys would do super bad and I just couldn't handle it. And so then once I started surfing, I was like so in love with it and then wanted to do contests because I was super competitive from all that other stuff. That makes a lot of sense. And did you go through the school system in, um, or the public school system in San Clemente or were you a homeschool kid? Yeah, I went through the public school until sixth grade uh-huh. and I got my dad as a teacher in fourth grade and that was pretty fun. Was he, was he easy on you or harder on you? Uh, he was both. It was like hard. Like he benched me a couple times because I pissed all over the floor in the bathroom once. <laughs> <laughs> I was just being like a little idiot, just like decided to piss everywhere. So he had to bench me, and then what's and then, that? Is that like is that like detention? I don't even. It's like that. during lunch break, everyone goes for recess. Oh right, you gotta sit. But there. you gotta sit at the benches and you can't can't play. So. And like recess was like the biggest part of my day. Like I'd go play football with my friends or basketball or something. Yeah, yeah. So that was like such a bummer to have to be benched. Yeah. <laughs> I piss it on the floor, you get benched. I yeah, get it. I for get sure. It. Yeah. I gotta get benched for that. <laughs> but it was cool though, because when there was like good waves, my dad would give out like no homework because he knew that the waves were good. So Oh man, you would have been the popular kid in school for sure. I was like, I want to get into Mr. Colapinto's class. For sure. Yeah. So okay, so you you public school till sixth grade, and then do you go into the homeschooling program? Yeah, started homeschool in seventh grade. So what age are you at that point? You'd be like 12, 13? Is that right? Seven, seventh grade. Yeah, I was um, twelve. Okay. Thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. I think. And was that specifically because you're like, hey, I'm I'm focusing in on competing and training and and traveling. Yeah, because I had already had like good sponsors by then. Yep. It's kind of like, it was good that I had those sponsors that really like made me like, wow, I could really do this, you know? What was your first overseas trip for, excuse me, for your sponsors? Um, Do you remember how old you were and where you went? Yeah, I think my first one was with Billabong to Hawaii for the Bloodlines camp. And how old were you for that one? I was 12. Yep. And I stayed and I met Seth and Josh and all those guys and. That was pretty rad. Yeah, those are your best friends now, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like <laughs> Seth's such a good friend. It's interesting, right? Because we talk about this actually on the podcast a lot because obviously there's good waves in Southern California and San Clemente in particular. You got the trust you got trestles, you got lowers, uppers, et cetera. You got the beach breaks, you got T Streets like a great training ground. But 
it's a huge jump from there to the championship tour in terms of comfort and waves, right? Uh You've got like really serious waves. And a lot of times you're at a disadvantage in certain conditions compared to people that grew up in like WA or Hawaii or whatever. So having like having the ability to go overseas and to be exposed to those waves at such a young age is almost essential at this point if you want to if you want to battle on the world tour oh 100 percent. i was lucky to be such good friends with josh and seth because those guys were so comfortable in those waves and they're my peers and i'd go surf with them and i'd see them doing what they're doing and i was like wow i need to be able to do that so it just pushed me so much to start going like out they were way better technically but i would just go on anything i think that's how i got like comfortable in bigger ways i just would just go i don't even care if i ate shit it's just going i mean and the whole respect thing in hawaii is such a big deal and the moni's family is so important to that so it's such a good avenue to get in there and to learn about the family and to learn about the community and to approach the north shore with them as allies it reminds me a lot of um like uh, Archie, when he went over there and befriended like Dan Kialoha and and those guys, and and it, you just have this inside track. Not that it helps you get waves, but you just understand the community better, and you feel like you're more comfortable in a, and in a space to charge. Yeah, for sure. And it is so cool because you grow up there, and there's like different things, like you call people like uncle and auntie and stuff. And at first, that was really weird for me to be calling everyone that. And then, like, I got comfortable, like, calling everyone uncle and auntie. And now I can go over there and do that. And it makes me feel, like, way more at home just being able to, like, do that comfortably, you know? So, I, I don't know. It's like now I go there and I, I just feel like a second home. I've fully adopted that, too, with my kids. So, like, everyone's an uncle or auntie. But now they're they're six. And they're, like, hold on. So, whose brother is Uncle Frawls? And I'm like, well, he's dad's friends, but just his <laughs> uncle. This is better. And they're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you start traveling for Billabong and you've got a, a good set of sponsors. You're going to Hawaii. What is your trajectory from the pro juniors to the QS? When do you, do you surf your first QS event? Well, I surfed my first QS event in Virginia Beach because that was coupled with a pro junior. Yep. And I think I lost like first heat there, but it was, I think I had like a couple good ways, but the ways were so bad. So that was kind of bummer, but I don't know. I just loved it so much. Just seeing like everyone surfing so good and like the practice sessions and stuff. And then my first real QS event was a QS 10,000 in Bolito. I got a wild card from Billabong. And that was kind of when I started to like make friends with brother because he was going to do that and I got the wild card and he's like, oh, you could stay with me. So I went and I stayed with him, Michael Dumphy and Luke Davis. And they were kind of just like showing me the, showing me everything. And I, I ended up making my first heat and like that was huge for me because I got a thousand points by making that first heat and I lost in the next one. But just that one little heat making that like felt so cool. And you get your foot in the door. You get to go back to the house. You're like, I'm still going. Yeah. That's <laughs> everyone else doing. Totally. And those guys are like so funny that trip. So I was like laughing a bunch and like surfing contests. And I was like, this is the best thing ever, you know. And how old were you at that point? 15, 16 when you got the wild card? Yeah, 16. Was six, like 15. <sighs> or, yeah, 15 or 16. It's a, it's an interesting one because when I started at the ASP, it was 2005, and the pro junior cutoff age was 20, um, and we still had like young people qualifying for the tour, but it kind of gave people more space to be like, I'm going to be a pro junior till I'm 20, 
and then I go on the QS. But there was, as you said, there were a lot of combined events where there was a pro junior and a QS. So guys were getting their reps in, like young guys were, and girls were getting their reps in um, on the QS at an early age. Mm -hmm. And then they lowered the age to 18, which I never kind of agreed with because it's like outside of people that, that can kind of get it together, there's just a lot of like physical maturing that happens between 18 and 20. And yeah. if you're a young person getting thrown onto the QS, like really young, like you just might not be physically ready for it. Cause you're yeah. dealing, as you said, with like really like a gnarly level of surfing. Yeah. Well, I, also I feel like the pro junior when it was like 21, you could be 21 and it'd be your last year. Yeah. Uh, it was like way more prestigious to win a pro junior, you know? Yeah. Where now it just doesn't feel as prestigious. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, even the the World Junior Championships is sort of the benchmark for junior surfers. Like the people that have won it are like, you know, Jordy and Adriano and Andy and Joel. Like there's this huge lineage and like like on the women's side, it's like Sally and even Jesse Miley Dyer, like people that like really made an impact on the championship tour. And I do think it's an important stepping stone for people to like, yeah, I, I did that. I felt good. And then I got onto the QS. It, what, so you win, you win, you get through one heat at the 10,000, which is, as you said, gives you like so many points and gives you a seat into all these other events. At what point during the QS did you start feeling like, I kind of have this. I feel like I can make a run at this because you said that you had to learn hard lessons for a couple of years. I'm wondering if there is a particular event where you're like, I broke out, I can do this. I think it was like, 2000 end of 2017 or something i did uh my first contest with snake in brazil mm. and i got third it was a 6000 and i got third there and that was like i was tripping that i was able to do that and then straight from there i went to hawaii and i had that heat where i did the big air with the, like five seconds left and so that was like back to back and then i ended up getting like 32nd on the qs that year and that was just from like doing good in the last two events. And I was like, whoa. And then the next year I made the tour. Yeah. Yeah. And when you made the tour, I remember, as you said, there was, there was a lot of hype around you too, but it almost felt like people were kind of overcorrecting it at the, at the international level in the sense of like, hey, we've got John, we've got Gabrielle, we've got the Brazilian storm. Like, and I think that element of, there hasn't been a real California contender for a while. Like, we'll see what Griffin looks like. You almost came in, as you said, a little bit under the radar, despite that hype. And then in that first event, you you went nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just, I remember I was, I was just there and like, just in a really good headspace. Like, you know, there was no pressure really because it's my first event. And I was, uh, I was actually working on my surfing a lot during that event, like trying to, get my carbs better and like really working hard to improve and that really was like enjoying that you know and I was seeing improvements and and then I, I surfed against Joel in my like round or my first heat I beat John John and then I beat Joel in my round three heat and then the next one was it was when they the top two out of the three-man heats made the quarters so then I made that heat into the quarters and it was just like happened so fast and then and then I got a 10 against Michelle at Kira and yeah, it just felt like so fast and easy that event. I was like, what? Like, can it be more easy like that? <laughs> <laughs> Why people keep saying this is hard? Yeah. Well, it was a good tee up, right? So we're going to take a break right now to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to come back with the rear view and we're going to watch that 10. Okay, cool. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. So for this week's rearview presented by BF Goodrich, it is your very first championship tour event. This is the Quicksilver Pro Gold Coast. It's quarterfinals. You're against Michelle Berez. What was it like your very, very first CT experience on tour? You're a rookie. Did you have a ton of expectations on yourself or were you just going out there being like, I can't believe I'm on tour? Yeah, I was kind of just like enjoying every little bit of it. Like walking down the street at Snapper and going to eat at all the restaurants and stuff. It was just all, everything I did was super fun. So I think that's part of the reason why I was just in such a good headspace. It is one of those things like, and and we see it, whether it's people at Surf Ranch or just on tour, when you don't have expectations is often when you feel like the freest to go surf your best. Like, have you found that throughout your career? Oh yeah, for sure. hundred percent. So it's kind of like, sometimes those expectations can just pop into your head without you even knowing. So it's kind of learning how to handle that and know when they're popping in so you can just not hold on to them. And this event in particular was really special because it's not often that we get to surf Kira. And if you talk to the locals there, there's a whole whole debate on like what actually constitutes as Kira or not. But this was probably the closest we'd gotten for really since kind of the uh, the sand bypass started and the Superbank started. Uh-huh. Had you had a lot of experience surfing out here before this heat? My first time surfing out there was that morning. <laughs> so... <laughs> How did, how'd it go that morning? It actually went really well. My first wave, I got like a pretty deep, big barrel. And I was just like, holy shit, it's firing out here. I couldn't believe that we were going to surf it in the contest. And it is like when there is cyclone swell there, it's one of those things where it's just so exhausting. And you see a bunch of the pros these days, like even on free surf, they have their their skis and they're doing step-offs, et cetera. You probably didn't have a ski in that morning, you know, and you're out there. Were you worried about just getting like blown down the beach and like having to fight the current? Were you worried about exhausting yourself before your heat? Uh, I wasn't too worried about it for some reason because like I knew the waves were so good. My energy was just going to be high the whole time, I think. But when I did, when I first piled out, we got absolutely worked all the way down, like and then barely made it out. So it was like that part was hard. But once you got out there, it was so good. And was the ski giving you the runaround as well? And not in the free surf. No, no but okay, right. But in the heat. You were in the heat, yeah. yeah, getting the run around. So it was like night and day. <laughs> <laughs> and you were working with Jake the Snake Patterson at this point in your career. Yes. Explain to the listeners who Jake is for those who are unaware. Uh, Jake is a former CT competitor, was on tour for 10 years. He won the Pipe Masters and he won J-Bay twice. And he's known as kind of an overachiever because he did way better than his skill set should have had him doing. So that's why he's a coach is because he's so smart with heat strategy and all that. So that's how he likes to market himself. He's a pretty damn good surfer. (laughs) But it's good for a coach. It's like, oh, yeah, I did way better than I should have done. You should work with me. And and he was a Quicksilver guy forever. And I, I don't know if this is true, but I remember when I heard that you were working with him since you're a Billabong guy, you were kind of one of the first non-Quicksilver guys to work with him. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And when I got started working with him, people were like, 
thinking I was going to go over to Quicksilver and stuff. But I just wanted to work with him because I knew he was a good coach and I needed a coach. So that part was kind of weird. Like Billabong was kind of tripping. Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> you know? And like, there's a bunch of rumors going around. But in a way, it's kind of a good thing for me because to have that, it's like more t- more talk going on about me and stuff. So Oh, yeah. yeah. For, keep him guessing. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be much nicer the next time they take you to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you and Jake meet? Um, or how were you introduced? Kind of just saw him around but never really met him and then he's really good friends with my manager Blair Marlin and so Blair kind of like introduced me to him and then we started hanging out a little bit and like I'd see him working with Canola and Leo around the contest and that and they were always doing really good and I always thought like well I feel like I'm as good as those guys you know so like if I were to work with him then I should be able to do what they're doing you know so that was kind of my mentality and why I wanted to work with him. Michelle Perez, he's known as the Spartan on tour. He's really deadly in a ton of conditions. He's won CT events before. What was your headspace like heading into this heat against someone like Michelle? It was kind of blank, honestly. I wasn't really thinking much at all, which is probably why I did so well. And like everything was going my way that day. Like in the morning, I got such a good wave. It was just like going my way. So I don't know. I wasn't really thinking. Well, you'd already had such, I guess, you know, as a rookie in your very first CT, and as you talked about before the break, like, you'd already had a ton of success here. You know, you beat Joel, so it's like, hey, it's like I can kind of pat myself on the back and everything else is kind of gravy. And that's such a good headspace to be in, especially if you start the day off with, like, a real sick barrel, too. You're like, win, lose, or draw, I'm in a good spot. Oh, totally. I mean, being in the quarters, being able to surf out here this day, I was like, couldn't believe it that was already that was like winning the contest for me already so yeah and i remember that was a big like narrative of like the surfers who'd been knocked out before this day like i I can't remember if it was kelly i don't think kelly was in this day yeah i think he got knocked out before and i remember just how dirty he was that he's like oh man he's like i I should be out there surfing like he's just really angry about it it's like hey dude that's the way it goes yeah i know i (laughs) i was tripping that i was getting to surf that because i know how rare it is so and what what kind of you've been working with mayhem for for a long long time i want to hear about how exactly how long um but also what kind of board are you riding in conditions like these i was just riding like a stock standard driver mm-hmm. but the start of the event i was riding and when it was all turns at yep. snapper i was riding a one of kolohe's old boards that he had actually gotten looked at it didn't like the way it looked gave it back like traded it in and then it was during the off season. I had no boards. So I went up there and I saw that and was like, oh, I, I'll just see how this thing goes. And and then all of a sudden it was like my magic board. And like I kept telling brother it was his board. You get all rattled. <laughs> <laughs> so compared to the days when it was up, the days before this, um, during the event when it was up at Snapper and it was smaller and it was turns, are you riding kind of a little bit of a step up today or is it this, about the same dimensions? It's just a different kind of board. Uh, just, just five eleven driver, like pretty much same dimensions. Little, the rails weren't as pulled down, so it was just more felt like a little more foam in this boards, and like I didn't really care if I broke it as much. So I rode a different board this day, because I did end up breaking it in the semis. So, and how long have you been working with Mayhem? I've been working with Mayhem for since I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twelve or thirteen. 
And in days like here, like obviously there's those nuggets out there um, that are just amazing blowouts. How can you tell when you're taking off or can you? Or are you, or are you just saying, look, I, I think this has a good line on it. I'm going to take in and pull it, take off and pull in and see how it goes. I was, yeah, I was kind of trying to look for the waves that didn't have all this white water on it. Right. Because I knew if it didn't have that, you have a better chance of it just being like more clean and look better. So I think that was because a lot of people were get it going on waves before and like it'd be good at first and then go into the white water bit and it would be shitty. So yeah, that was kind of like what I was thinking. It's I, I, I going back to the board question. I love asking this like at an event like snapper rock. So let's just say this event, for example, how many boards do you have in your quiver from mayhem um, or from anybody, I guess, but like how many boards do you have in your quiver for an event like this? Uh, I think I brought, I had like 12 boards with me uh-huh. cause I was also going to bells and markets after. But like for these types of waves, I probably have like six. Okay. Six short boards and or like five tens, five elevens. And is that kind of standard? Like twelve's about the number you'd bring kind of any stop on tour? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it depends how many events we're gonna be going to, but if it's one event, I'll bring like six. But if it's more than one, I'll bring probably twelve. Now are you the kind of CT surfers, my other favorite question? Do you ever experiment with non thrusters? Because it's people fall into two camps. I found like there's people who are like, oh no, regardless of the conditions, I ride my thruster and I stay as sharp as possible on that board. Uh-huh. And then there's other people who are like, no, no, I'll ride like a quad or an epoxy or a fish or something. What, what camp do you fall into? I fall into the thruster camp. I just <laughs> stick to the one thing pretty much. <laughs> no epoxies, no different tech or anything. I bring epoxies if I know the place can get really small. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's I just like to keep it simple, you know? Yeah. So yeah. That, that makes sense. And then with something like, you know, Mayhem is sort of an outfit that has board, uh, board building set up in Australia. Do you ever get boards from the Australia factory when you're over there? Or you just try to keep it straight out of San Clemente? Yeah, I've only gotten two boards from there. They weren't as good as the ones from San Clemente. So I just stick to the San Clemente ones. And you mentioned that you're on a magic board here. Um, is there another sort of thing that comes up with CT surfers? Is like, oh yeah, I ordered like six of the same boards, but one of them was the magic board. Uh-huh. Well, what makes it a magic board for you? I think it's like one of those things where you could just put your foot, put your feet anywhere on the board and it just feels like you're just going to be on no matter what. Where like sometimes you get a board and it's like you have to like adjust or find that perfect spot to where you know the board's going to work good. But like boards like this you can kind of just like stand up wherever and it's you just feel like super connected do you think you would ever work with a different shaper in your career i have a hard time seeing me do that but i mean if i like was desperate and my boards weren't working good for a while then i'd probably start looking elsewhere there's a lot of like surfers too that when they have that that really special relationship with their shaper they're not opposed to like trying shapes from other shapers to be like, oh, let's see what's happening over here. And then I take that back to the shaper. Have you ever done any of that? No, but I kind of want to now. Like brother's been doing that a bunch. He's gotten all kinds of different boards lately. And he's he's been going back to Matt, which is in a way I'm also I'm also thinking like, well, he's gonna be doing all that with Matt. Like maybe that'll just transfer over into my boards. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry. He's yeah. doing all the hard work. I just cruise and let it happen. <laughs> I think I kind of think that's something he picked up from Mick because I, I'm sure it's been happening for a long time. But I remember, I think it was 2013, where Mick rode one of Brothers Mayhem's at Lowers, 
And it really, for Mick talks about a lot and how that really changed his surfing for the better. And I remember it was kind of a big scandal. Everyone's like, oh, is he leaving DH? He's going to go to Mayhem. What a big deal, you know? And and I think for him, he was like, no, no, no. Like, DH is my guy. I just, you know, hopped on this to get a different feel. And I took that back to my shaper. And I think it's more common practice now where people feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I think Matt's starting to learn how to be able to be all right with that. Oh, know? right. Yeah. Is he a I little think, possessive? I think he's pretty, like, possessive at times. <laughs> so, but brother's, like, been such a big part of matt's whole program so like if brother wants to like do that he's kind of got to let him do it you know so oh oh, what's this oh this is the 10 i think oh my goodness walk us through it okay so i just got this barrel i was like oh that's a fun little barrel you know i was gonna do a cut back and then i saw this thing down the line one big pump there and then got shot out i was like oh it's done looked in and then oh no <laughs> here we go again and then Another claim. <laughs> now, where do you think? Did you have the 10 already after the second barrel? Uh, after the second barrel, I was like, oh, I definitely have like a high score, you yeah. know, like super high score. And then I was looking towards the beach because I was claiming it, you know. And then, I, <laughs> and then when I looked back, I was like, oh, what again? So I was, just, I was, yeah, I was baffled. And a day like today, it is really hard. Here goes Michelle. It's just, it's so hard, right? Because if you, if you have a swell like this Akira and someone's filming all day, like the two minute edit is just going to look like, wow, everyone was getting tens every wave, every set. But it's not like that. You have to really identify those diamonds in the rough. Yeah, for sure. I It was it was definitely tricky to identify. Like I, I was watching the heats before and they were having a shocker. Like guys were making heats like two fours and stuff. Like, I don't know. I just kind of like had low expectations from that. I, I only, when I took off on the wave, I only really thought it was going to be like that little barrel. Right. And you, as you said, you were going to set up a turn. Yeah. That thing just came out of nowhere. And then this <laughs> came out of nowhere. The whole wave was just so mind boggling. I didn't even, I had no idea what I was paddling into, you know? That's a healthy claim. Yeah. I was stoked on these claims actually. Cause I, a lot of guys do like weird frantic claims, you know, after, <laughs> after that. And I watched these, like, oh, those are actually kind of cool claims. <laughs> and, it, and and so so it sounds like you're totally comfortable claiming waves that like Jesus if I had this wave anyone would want to claim it but then there's other guys who are very like sensitive about it guys and girls where it's like no 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 I don't claim any waves I just do like a little non-claim but the non-claim is a claim yeah it's like I don't know it's that's kind of a weird like weird deal I don't know I just if you feel it then you just gotta do it you know it's, you get even a better feeling if you claim it, you know, like letting it go, you know? Do you think it juices your score at all if you claim? Uh, Nah. No. Maybe like, maybe a little bit, but not really. Like, I think you can tell, you can tell when a guy's doing a natural claim. Right. Or if it's like a trying to like juice the score claim. Like yeah. You yeah, can yeah. really tell that. Because guys do do that. Yeah. 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 Like I've done that too. And I watched the replay. <laughs> I'm like, why the hell did I do that? <laughs> It, it's hard though, right? Because if you're a judge, right? Uh-huh. All everyone on tour, world's best surfers. So the body language is important and it's like if someone's claiming you're like, I guess that guy is a world's best surfer. They must think it was good. Maybe it's an extra 0.5. Maybe maybe it is higher, but I think everyone's gotten so sophisticated now they're like, nah. Yeah. No dice. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell. I don't know. It feels really good when you claim a wave and it's straight passion you know yeah i mean and i think too it's one of those things where 
the stakes now on the championship tour are so high. You know, yeah. every heat is so important. There's so much on the line from points to prize money to title contention and all of that impacts you know endorsement deals like there's so much more riding on every heat and every wave yeah that like it's it's pretty natural to see that passion come out yeah for sure it's so gnarly like you make like one one heat and point difference is like so much you know so and the prize money too like imagine you make that heat you get an extra like five grand or something like imagine you're in a casino and you're playing blackjack and you won like five grand, you'd probably claim the shit out of it. Like <laughs> arms in the air, just freaking out, you know? That is that is a good comparison. I think that's totally right. <laughs> Real quick, um, well, I hope maybe there's a little lull here. Back, back to the shaper question and being kind of one of the top guys on the team. Do you ever feel like, oh, I'm not getting the attention I need? No, no, Matt's super super helpful with me he's always like wanting me to order boards and like if i'm not ordering boards he's like telling me i need, should order more boards and stuff so that's that's a nice relationship with the shaper yeah we have a super he, good he relationship. calls you and be like you need more boards yeah <laughs> the other way around yeah he's like he lets me order like as much as i want he's never like oh that's too many or anything he never slips like a five five by 19 and a quarter fish in there and he's oh just like, for sure that yeah <laughs> he, just, he wants me to get his, get his clips you know yeah get his marketing going i when i was a kid i was in high school and that movie came out and like it blew everybody's mind everyone was like oh my god like the original one not the redux but like five five by 19 and a quarter with like wardo and Corey and andy and um just surfing fishes and you're like I, I guess i only need a fish like look at all these waves they're surfing on these things these things look awesome yeah Everyone went home and like ripped the nose off their board because of the Bruce section at pipe. Everyone's like, he doesn't need a nose. I just like snap this thing off and I'll square it off. It'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> no way. So good. What about the video thing for you? I mean, it's it's not the same. I guess this is a recap or looks like we're going into a break or something. What about, it's not exactly the same as it was in the 90s or even the early oddies where it was so important to have like video parts as well as contest results where do you fall on that spectrum are you are you actively trying to get free surf clips and put video parts together yeah well growing growing up like julian wilson was my favorite surfer and he was a contest surfer and a really good like video guy so i was my goal is always i wanted to be both as well you know yeah so i so now it's kind of weird because it's like more about all about contests so it's kind of like where do you put all your focus, you know? Yeah. So in a way, I kind of, in a way, I kind of wish they were still doing like movies and stuff like that. That looks so cool yeah. to be a part of. But it's also cool that it's, a lot of it's about contests because then you're like working really hard to achieve like one really big goal. So It feels like there's also less filmmakers out there where like for a while it was like, there's here's Josh Palmer and here's Taylor Steele and here's Kai Neville and here's Logan Doolian and there's just not as much opportunity anymore. But you're working with Logan on Snap 4, are you? No, I'm not a part of that. Oh, not a part of it. No. Didn't want to. I don't know. I just, I don't know why I didn't want to. I just didn't really want to. The, I mean, it, it, it is interesting. I, I think Jimmy Wilson, the photographer, I can't remember if he wrote this and I read it or we were talking about it. It came up years and years ago where he said, you know, it used to be that guys would surf conservatively in heats and then all the free surf stuff would be amazing for like photos or videos. He goes, 
Now it's the opposite. He goes, guys surf conservatively in their free surfs because they save it all for the contest. Because they, they're like, if I'm going to get hurt, I'm going to do it in the contest when everything's on the line. Yeah. And that's That's been a total change since when I started. Yeah. That part's crazy, huh? Yeah. In addition to Julian Wilson, who were some of your other guys growing up that you looked up to? Um, mostly just Julian and like a little bit of Kelly when I was young. And then once I started like understanding technique and stuff, because I never really had much coaches on the technique side of things. Once I under started understanding that, I realized like how good Joel Parkinson surfed on his forehand. I just like couldn't believe, couldn't believe it. And so I just like, I got to try and emulate that a little bit too, you know? So I started working on that a bunch, like right when I made the tour. And then now I kind of, I still watch him a bunch and kind of try and look to like guys that are really good on their backside too, like Taj Burrow, because that's kind of what I'm working on most right now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Taj's backhand's unbelievable. And you know, big backup wave here too after you get a 10 in the heat because it's a little bit feast and famine in these conditions how are you are you worried about getting that backup score are you worried about just like all of my other waves are going to be closeouts because this one here was great like you had a good barrel and then went into a series of turns but like what are you thinking when you're out here walk us through this wave first i guess uh i was a little frantic for a backup i didn't want to be the guy losing with the 10 so <laughs> like this was a super small wave that day so i was actually lucky that it gave me these sections to do turns yeah because that could have thrown me off really bad because i ended up getting a six and i kind of like manufactured that where if it was just the barrel i could only got like a two or like a three or something right you know? yeah so that was kind of like stupid to go on that wave but it worked out because it let me do those turns Totally. And I think it's so, so much of surfing is the point of different stuff. And on a day like today, people just weren't seeing a ton of turns. Uh -huh. And as you said, like those were three really good turns for that day, you know, they're yeah. like real full power and like flare at the end and stuff. And as you said, it's like, if it was just the barrel, it probably wouldn't have been in your scoreline. Yeah, totally. So, and then I, yeah. And then there's only 10 minutes left. So Michelle only needed a five, he had a seven. So I was lucky to get those turns. When you're on the um, ski, when you're getting pulled back around, are you talking to the ski driver at all? Uh, a little bit, like right when he picks you up. And that was Kyborg taking me around. So oh, right, okay. It was pretty cool. I kind of become like good friends with Kyborg a little bit over the years in Hawaii. And he's really good friends with Dino, so hung out with him a little bit. So it's cool to have him out there on the ski like that. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good dude. Yeah. Michelle picked off a pretty good one after you too. It's it's interesting, like so he kind of jammed it into the wall. He got barreled for a bit, and he maybe could have done turns at the end, but he didn't. He just kind of opted to kick out and get back out there. Yeah, he probably knows that he probably needs something like around a seven or something. Like even if he got a five, like it's so easy to just get a crazy one, you know. So, how long have you been with Billabong for? I've been with them since I was twelve. Wow, eleven or twelve? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those programs that like, you know, you mentioned the bloodlines camp and they do so much for surfers coming through the system. And they have so, like, you know, when I was younger, it was you know, your Andy, Taj, Joel were kind of the, the fulcrum of the company. And um, yeah, I mean, they've just done such a good job developing the talent that's come through. And it's one of those things too on the championship tour that when you have like that set of icons, 
it's almost hard to have someone like five years younger, right? Because they're going to be good and at the top of their game for like 10, 15, 20 years. So you kind of have to have a big gap in age before that next set of surfers can come through. Yeah, totally. And that seems like what kind of they've done in a big way with like you, Seth and Ethan mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's really cool what Billabong's done. It's like they've taken us to so many rad spots that we were able to get, improve our surfing. And so that's obviously a huge part of why we've gotten to where we've gotten, I think. But then it also takes like us wanting to get better too. So like we could have gone to the spots and just like had fun and whatever, but we probably were all like working on a certain part of our surfing that needed to be worked on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's interesting too. Like when I started, um, I was kind of at the tail end of championship tour surfers, like kind of treating it like a party. Like some of them were like, this is great life. Like we're on tour, we're traveling around the world. Like we're having so much fun. And then the generations before that, I just think like, man, this is crazy when you hear about guys like Chris Ward and Andy and Bruce being sent around the world at like 16, no phone, no supervision. They're like, you're in West Oz, go surf the box. And it's like, that's crazy to think of that yeah. with like without kind of the support mechanisms that are in place these days. Yeah, I know. It's wild. It's totally different now. <laughs> and it and it, and as you said, like the stakes are so much higher that people just take it that much more seriously. Where, and I guess there's been that many, there's been that many examples of like, hey, that guy had like so much talent and didn't take it seriously enough, and and kind of blew their opportunity. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can totally. That's the cool. That's the cool thing for us is we have so many like role models to look to now. You can see you can either you can kind of try and copy someone in a way you know like brothers kind of taking the mcfanning approach you know i personally i i think i would do best if taking like the kelly slater approach and the way he does things not so like secretive and mysterious but like i don't know i think he has like a more holistic look on everything mm. and that's kind of like the vibe i want to go with so we'll see how it goes with do you think he's that. secret and mysterious yeah, for sure. <laughs> Super. <laughs> See, the ultimate competitor. Have you had any hates against him? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I've, I've. Do you have a plan if you ever draw him in a heat? Uh, talk to him. Don't talk to him. I don't know. Maybe just talk to him. <laughs> just just a, strike, strike first. Just go, go hit talkers, him up. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> well, I actually had one heat with him. Uh, in brazil but it was a three-man so oh, okay right okay i think tanner was on the podcast and we were talking about it he had like he drew kelly at like lowers and he's like I, all my like all the boys were like don't talk to him just get away from him and go in your own place and like he's like so i like ran all the way up to uppers basically like uh -huh. to get away from him before the heat i'm stretching and i'm doing my thing and then he goes and then i turned around and like kelly was running up to paddle out next to me like ran all the way up but he said there were like hundreds of people following him. So it looked like he was the head of an army and it like psyched me out when he came up. I was like, oh no. So he's like, it worked in like reverse for him. No way. Wow. There's like so many of those stories. Wow. I don't know. He's interesting human. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a way to put it. <laughs> I mean, and San Clemente, just in terms of having that support, it's it's been it's been really like one of the major centers of US surfing for decades at this point and you have generations of 
really talented surfers that have come through and some have done really well and some have had hard times and stuff. So it seems like a community where at least now with like talent coming up, both sides are, are offering guidance to the people coming up and kind of saying, look, learn from what I did, maybe don't do that or check out what this person did. Did, did you find that coming up in San Clemente? Yeah, for sure. I think having like Dino and brother is, is kind of like the head of the pack right now is so good for us because they're so like straight edge and are on it, like no drugs or alcohol or anything like that. And everyone's like looking up to him and then I kind of try and I'm like doing what he's doing as well. So the younger kids look up to him and I, and we're just going to be like taking a place as like a good role model and trying to make sure all the kids are on the good path and, it's pretty cool because now I feel like the San Clemente generation is kind of like the next like Brazilian storm in a way because there's so many good kids coming up and there's so many, it feels like almost every good kid in the U.S. is like begging their parents at the breakfast table like we need to move to San Clemente I need to <laughs> I need to get an electric bike I need to go surf lowers every morning kind of thing yeah I mean I would be too if I were <laughs> not living there. <laughs> Do you think that you, I mean, you're such a, you're 22, you're like a kid yourself, man. But like, do you feel like having those kids come up behind you pushes your surfing even more? Like, cause you have such a strong set of kids that are coming up and like challenging you and every session. Uh, I, f I feel like I get more pushed by Chloe. Hey? Yeah. You're still pushing up. Yeah. Like, I'm still <laughs> pushing up for sure. So like, I love surfing with him cause it's fun. We'll surf with him and like Dino will be on the beach watching most of the time. So it's kind of cool because Dino was like a pro surfer and really good back in the day, like really knows what he's talking about, had great style and all that. So whenever he's on the beach and like the, the boys are surfing, you know, we're, I feel like in the back of our heads, we're all kind of like wanting to like impress him in a way, you know, like hoping that he sees us like do something good, you know? He's still, and I know he's like, Dino's had to deal with like his back and like a few other things, but he's still so good. Like, like oh, he's so good. Like, he'll, like, we, we will be in Tahiti each season and he often comes to that event and we'll surf down at the, at No Pass and he'll come out with like Brandon Gilmet or whoever, you know, and it's like, it's so cool to watch him surf still because he still shreds so hard. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh my God, Dino. You know who he reminds me of is uh, Big Z from Surf's Up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great comparison right that's teach school and all the young guys yeah he's freaking all time like got all the wisdom yeah just, people think he was dead totally like yeah. everyone comes for him comes to him for advice and stuff it's so good <laughs> who's the next kid that's going to qualify from san clemente uh, guy or girl probably my brother crosby i think him and crosby he's actually like a really damn good longboarder too no, that's my cousin. Oh, sorry. Okay. I have a cousin, Corey. He's an insane that's longboarder. It, sorry. Corey. He's like one of the best in the world, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. You guys got it, all the bases covered. Yeah. Now, was Crosby, what year is he going to qualify? I think he'll qualify as soon as it starts up again. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking so gnarly right now. We're tripping. <laughs> <laughs> He's like ready to run through a wall. If you had to compare and contrast your and Crosby styles, how would you do that? What do, you, what do you guys do similar and what do you guys do a little different? I feel like the way we get speed and our flow is pretty similar. And then it's actually really, it's really similar. He's just like, he's just taller and lengthier. Mm -hmm. So it looks different. Yeah. But the way we surf is very similar because 
I pretty much coached him and everything that I was working on, I would tell him to work on. Right. So like when I was working on something, I'd be like, Kazi, you can work on this too. Like, let's watch this guy and we can get better at this, you know? So it's like, we were doing the same thing, you know? Well, I look forward to him getting on tour and I look forward to us going back to the Gold Coast and seeing you guys take on Kira like this at some point, brother on brother. Oh yeah. We're going to take another quick break uh, to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll jam into some more topics. All right. So we've just watched a huge debut amongst the world's best. Third, perfect tens, Kira. How did the rest of the rookie year go? Up and down, there are a couple of high points. What do you think the biggest struggle was or the biggest eye-opener was for you in your rookie season on the championship tour? I think it was just like realizing how gnarly everyone was. And like when you get up against a guy and you feel like you like did your best, but they still like outperformed you, you know, that part's pretty hard. So it was kind of like a lot of learning on like what you can improve on and how to manage your heat. Cause like there's so many more man on man heats than the QS too. So that's also harder. Like it's just trippy thinking like you only got to beat one guy. So yeah, just that was pretty hard. And then, yeah, there's a few other high points that went pretty good. And, yeah, it was a good year of learning. What's a more frustrating loss for you when you get out-surfed or where you make, a like, a strategic competitive error? Oh, for sure, the strategic competitive error. It's like, you just know it's all on you and you freaking blew it, you know? So I think one of my hardest losses that year was, was in Portugal. I, like, lost to... I lost to Pakadowskis in round two and the conditions were like really in my favor. And it was that same thing where it was like good for airs. And then also like the also could be like good for turns as well. And like, that's usually when I get in those two minds. So that's like one thing that I'm trying to figure out the, and you, I mean, you had a pretty solid rookie season. Do you think that getting that third at the start of the season kind of restarted the hype train for you where people were kind of like expecting more out of you right away because you did so well at the first event? Yeah, for sure. And I had just won the triple crown like right before that and then did that. And then it was like, whoa, like everyone was like tripping. And then, and then I just started like, I never like thought like, oh, I'm going to win the world title or anything. So it's just, I had to like go through the learning curve. It was just, it was crazy. Like it was a good thing and a bad thing at the same time, you know, but yeah, it's all good. This is something that I'm going to draw a parallel to with the Brazilians is, um, you know, Adriano came on the scene um, probably around like, oh, five, oh, six, oh, seven, around that, that time. Um, qualified really young and really like pushed the Brazilian movement on tour into a new place like he was challenging for event wins he was challenging for world titles and then i remember jadson came along and he won a ct as rookie year he beat kelly at santa catarina and it kind of sucked the wind out of adriano's sails because here is this kid coming up and he was kind of taking the brazilian flag a little bit and then you could argue the same thing kind of happened again when like Gabrielle and Idolo came along and they kind of sucked the wind out of Jadson's sails a little bit. So was there any, did you get that feeling from you at all just kind of related with you and Kolohe? Like the more attention you got, did you feel like he was a little bit like standoffish at the start or? Yeah, at the start, I feel like things were like kind of weird and he was like going through a lot mentally and yeah. having to figure that part out. 
but it was good because he knew he knew that it was like him you know and not anything with me or anything it's just like his own thing and uh yeah his mind has gotten like so much stronger since then like everything that happens now he just he like looks at it at, at looks at it in such a positive way yeah. So that's really cool. When we were doing our review with uh, Kanoa Igarashi, he was actually he surfed against you at J-Bay. That was the heat we watched. Oh, okay. And he said, this is the heat where I became a man. That was his quote. Oh, He's wow. like, I, this is because he needed a score and he really put a wave together. And he was like, this is when, because he is another guy that qualified really young. And he said, this is the heat where I felt like I became a man on tour so I want to ask you, do you feel like you are a man on tour yet? Or do you feel like you're still kind of a young guy and that's still to come? Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, I kind of feel like I'm in the middle still. I feel like I'm almost there to being feeling like a man. And I don't know, I think it's just going to take me having like a really solid program and just being like super set in that and just working on a bunch of different things in my life to come together and, and have it all come together. But I don't know. What was that the heat with uh, Gabriel and I? Yes. Yeah. It was that heat? Yeah. Yeah. That was a gnarly heat. I remember. But yeah, sometimes I feel like that. And then sometimes I feel like a kid. So it's kind of like up and down, but I imagine once I do feel like that, it'll just be the best feeling ever can feel like you can beat anyone probably well it's, I, it's I, I love that answer because it does feel like there's levels to it right when you're the new guy with no expectations and you got all the talent that's an advantage in a heat right because you have kind of this freshness and you're not stressed out about anything and that exists for a while and then there's this period of time where it's like okay you, if you don't jump to the next level and as i guess the way we're putting it become a man or become a woman or a person or whatever an adult mm -hmm. um, and become a real hitter like against the world's best that's a challenging time right because when you're caught between you're still getting kind of feasted on by those world title predators and then you have young guys coming up and kind of sapping your mojo so it is kind of that weird thing to be caught between yeah for sure yeah, and you so you still feel like you have to jump to that level. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's weird because like the way I act, just around contests and like as a person in general, I feel like I'm just like such a kid, you know. And I would never want to lose that because I have so much fun being like that. So it's like of trying to figure out how to keep that kid in me and still be a man at the same time. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's such a good point too. Like because you grew up obviously in surfing and you have all these heroes on tour that you've had on tour that are still on tour. So when you come up against one of your heroes, do you kind of take a minute and be like, oh shoot, like that's the guy I used to play his video like 20 times a day. Yeah, for some reason I never gotten that. I don't know why, it's just never, I've never had that like star struck like, well, this is like, I can't believe I'm surfing against this guy. It's just, I, I don't know. It's like I get there and I feel like I just don't really think too much into it. It's like, it's really exciting. Yeah. On the consistency side of things, you've had like really like, it's not like your high results or your really good results are in one kind of wave. You know, they're kind of all over the place. So you've yeah. had Pipe, Surf Ranch, Karamas, Gold Coast, uh, J-Bay. Yeah. Um, what are the parts of your surfing that you want to see more consistency in? Yeah, that's the part that's that's been like 
making me feel good is that I'm like, wow, I've gotten like good results at like so many different varieties of waves. So that I feel like, you know, once I really get it, then I'll be able to like really go for a world title, you know? And I'd say like, as there aren't much left, but I know there's going to be lefts on tour. And like, that's the part that I want to work on the most. And I feel like I've improved a lot in the past year. So even if there's a left now, I'm really excited to surf that because I get I have something to prove again, you know, which will be really exciting. And I've always had this weird like insecurity coming through the QS, like or like once I made the tour that like even though most events were in rights, I like, didn't feel like I deserved to like do that well because my backhand wasn't as good as my forehand, and I want to be like the full package so bad, and I'm like super a personality in that way. So now that I'm getting better on my backhand i feel like i deserve to like be at that top level you know showcase it yeah, yeah. and kind of what we were talking about before like and and i left taj out when i was making that list but you brought him up as sort of a reference point for your own backhand and i do think that's the a lot of people have really strong forehands on tour and that's like their major weapon but like those world champs all have like like levels above on the backhand yeah in totally. a big way hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, even, and that's been the way for a while. Like even looking back at like someone like Aki, like his backhand was like so deadly and everyone's like, that's why he's going to be a world champ. Yeah. And I, I think it's just knowing that you're the full package. Like you have everything and you deserve it. You know, you've worked hard on all these different aspects. Like you deserve to be world champ, you know? We're starting to creep back into live surfing, putting a jersey on. You know, we had the Surf 100 event with Stab. We're here at Rumble at the Ranch. We're on our way to the recommencement of the championship tour. What is the Griffin Cola Pinto program between then and that first CT event? What are you working on and, and what's your focus? I think my focus is figuring out like what kind of edge I'm going to have on my competitors and I really into like physical fitness and being healthy and everything, but I also don't want to like blow myself out too early as in like training too much in a way. Like I don't want to overtrain. So I'm trying to like figure out how I can still stay super fit and like solid. So I have like longevity. And then I'm also thinking that my, my edge could be like my mental strength, you know? So I really want to work on my mental strength during this time and come into it and just, know that i've put more time into my mind than anyone else the wsl uh in april and then again in july announced some real major changes to the championship tour when it comes back we're changing the schedule we're changing when it's going to run and we're changing how we determine world champs from a year-long uh tour ranking to the year-long tour ranking qualifying the best surfers for a one-day event uh -huh. what do you think about that you know uncensored thoughts um i love it i think it's it's really good for the sport and if you are in that top five at the end of the year it's going to be insane because i mean if you're in the fifth position you're going to have to like go on a crazy roll which could happen and then if you're the guy in first you obviously have that advantage but um you'll be more fresh you know being in first because the other guy will have surfed so much already he'll be like pretty tired by the time he gets up to you so i think i think it'll really showcase like the best surfer for sure and I, it'll be super fun i think we haven't announced the venue yet 
Um, but we have announced the time is going to be in that August, September time. And we've said the venue is going to shift year to year. What are some of the waves that you'd like to see that go down in? Oh, I didn't know the venue was shifting every year, huh? Breaking news here, man. Oh, wow. Well, obviously, I'd like to see it at Lowers. Because <laughs> <laughs> they still haven't surfed a QS or a CT there. And uh, yeah, and then probably somewhere in the mentalized or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. It's been an interesting conversation because obviously, like there's sort of those like Super Bowl venues like Pipe and Chopes and stuff like that. Um, the challenge, I think, and obviously there's the seasonal challenge, but I think the challenge with having a one-day event deciding the world title in waves like that is that often you're going to get the ocean deciding, you know, where someone's just on the bomb. Mm -hmm. So your approach to like trestles or like a macaroni's or a lakey peak or something where it's like, it really is performance. Like it is performance based. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the camp I fall into. Not that I'm the decider, but it's like, I like that idea in terms of venue selection because it is, hey, look, these are the best surfers of the entire year. They've had to perform in every kind of wave to get here. Now it's up to them. It's not like going to be a luck of the draw with yeah. the ocean. You know, it's up to them to perform. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I think Lowers is such a good spot because you get you, there's so much variety. You can go left and right, and like most of the time, it's pretty equal opportunity. That you know, there's no barrels, but like high performance surfing, it's probably like the hardest thing to get good at. Like there's so many random good barrel riders out there, but like the amount of high performance guys that are out there is so much lower you know or smaller so yeah i think it should be decided in high performance type of wave yeah and i think kind of what you're getting at's important too in the sense of you can't you can't not be a good barrel rider to even get there like you're gonna have to surf barrels yeah on the ct to get to that spot anyway yeah so i like it in that there's kind of nowhere to hide like you just have to be there totally all right, I like that vote. I like a vote for lower trestles. It's right. exciting. Thanks. We uh, put it out to our Instagram followers to see if they had any questions for you, and they did. They have a okay. ton. And so we've picked three of them. Uh, okay, this is, these are good questions. I'm really excited for these. So Noah Purrington asks, who is the brewing rival for Griffin Colapinto? Who's your rival on tour? A brewing rival? Yeah. Probably, like, probably say... Kanoa or brother good ones like those would be the guys that I'd want to like beat the most you know are they also the ones that if they beat you that's that hurts more than someone else yeah probably <laughs> uh, they probably feel the same about me i'm sure uh Cress c bailey asks what is your best travel story my best travel story i don't really have it's not really like a good travel story but this the one that pops to my head is like this one time i was traveling to South Africa and I think I was had a layover in Johannesburg and I was there and I was by myself and I had two board bag suitcase I was just like struggling through the airport <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm struggling through the airport and like these two guys like come up to me and they're all like trying to like help me like and I, I was like wasn't really sure what was going on they were like they weren't in like super nice like airport clothes or anything. It looked like more of like street clothes, but they had like a little like name tag on or something. And I was kind of like skeptical about the whole situation. I was like, all right, yeah, like you can help me like show me where my where do I need to go? Like I need to be here. Like they're like, oh yeah, we'll help you, blah, blah. And then, and we're on the like 
top level of the airport and there's like three levels or something. And I knew that all the all this uh, airlines like departures were on the top level and they're like, okay, we got to go in the elevator and like this and that. And I was like, this is Johannesburg where like anyone can kind of just like walk into the airport. And so they like grab my, they t- I have one board bag. One guy walks in the elevator with my other board bag. And then I see him like press like the bottom of the airport levels, like the very bottom floor. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know about that, you know? And so I was like, um, I'm all good, actually. Like, I got it. Thanks, though. And then I, like, got out of the elevator before it, like, shut. But I swear they're going to try and, like, kidnap me or something because, like, <laughs> pressing the bottom level, I was like, oh, my God, like, straight parking lot vibes, like, sketchy. Did you get your board bag back? Yeah, I had, I got my board bag and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things, like, it's a global tour. I mean, there are more stories than not of that kind of stuff happening where you're like, oh, all right. And you have to get real savvy very quickly. You yeah. Know, especially when you're by yourself, you're like, all right, look, I, I kind of do the safest thing for me here. Yeah, fully. Like, especially they probably saw me like some little American kid, like, didn't know where he was going, look all confused. You're a target. You got big board bags. You're like, you're an easy 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 mark oh yeah they, they wanted me bad <laughs> well, i'm glad i'm glad nothing untoward happened <laughs> all right and then jowaland i definitely pronounced that wrong asks do you choose every aspect of your boards or do you just trust in matt are you like a detail guy or you just go like just make me a magic board uh i trust a lot in matt i give him like a few things that i really want but then everything else i'm kind of just like I'll just try and keep it simple. Good answer. Yeah. We got our last segment. This is the lightning round presented by Electric Sunglasses. We have 10 questions. You're going to answer as fast as you can. Oh, wow. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, what would you choose? Probably California twin mayhem. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? pizza last book you read um how to win friends and influence people best surf film ever campaign two i gotta i'm gonna i'm gonna throw my own questions off here what segment in campaign two uh the andy part all right it's already the best answer i've ever gotten (laughs) uh one wave you never have to go back to virginia beach (laughs) if you only got to surf one wave the rest of your life Maybe Chopu. It's going to be hard on that California twin, dude. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll get better, though. It'll be harder. Best person to share a lineup with? Uh, my dad. Worst person to share a lineup with? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... By... Meditating. Griffin Colapinto, thank you for coming on the lineup, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Griffin Colapinto. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Griffin for his time and conversation. I can't wait to see what he does when the CT returns. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors for supporting these conversations. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Tachiyokuts, the Chumash, and the Keech to Wagner people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>